And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Happy Sunday to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist for the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash tips snark galore and of course the get growing with farmer fred facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on debbie flowers in the studio with us today yes i am always good to have professor flower with us to set us straight when it comes to the (laughs) science of gardening and uh, we're, we're already discussing the email questions that are coming in to fred at farmerfred.com feel free to phone in questions too terry would like to hear from you he's running the board what are the numbers? 916-576-1578 or toll free, if there is such a thing, 866-331-8255. And again, the email address, fred at farmerfred.com. With your garden questions, we'll have a garden grappler a little bit later on. Thanks for coming out to Harvest Day yesterday at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Mm-hmm. Big crowd, lots of things. Uh, I was especially interested in the display that the California Department of Food and Ag brought out there of... The good guys and the bad guys, the bugs. They had a great bug display there. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, it was beautiful. G- great pinned insects. Okay. I was looking at the bees. Okay. The the, the Hagen... Uh, Hagen-Dazs. Hagen-Dazs. Thank you. The yeah. ice cream people. <laughs> well, actually... Uh, UC Davis Honey Bee Haven yes. had a display of, of bees. And I was asking that woman about... Um, I'm concerned about the aerial spraying for um, West Nile virus for the mosquitoes, how that would affect the bees. Um, she didn't mention, although I know that bees in general are not out at night. They are, right. uh, they've gone to bed, uh, as have wasps. Um, but she said if they are hit with the spray, that uh, they have a very good system of uh, cleaning uh, small amounts of toxins like that out of their body, and that the amount that is applied for the mosquitoes um, would be that small amount so the bees are pretty safe from it she felt confident they were this the mosquito sprays were not a problem for the bees was this the bee lady or the vector district lady the bee lady oh, okay all right it's, i mean I could yeah i was surprised yeah um so yeah she's she was at she this she had this page that you that was the bee lady. We should point out here on the radio that Debbie is pointing to a piece of paper that's in front of her. That was a handout. At Can't the, they see that? No, they can't see that. It's a, but which is a great list of plants to attract bees. Yes, it is a great list yard. of plants to attract bees. But it was interesting looking at all the bugs of uh, that they had at the CDFA display, and how people can confuse things like, especially if you're reading about Japanese beetles and the problems they can cause back east, and a lot of if they. People here, if they read those articles, they're not familiar with Japanese beetles. They say, oh, my goodness, I think I have the Japanese beetle right. in my yard. When in reality, what they're staring at is probably a fig, a green fig beetle. And the Japanese beetle right. is amazingly small. Yeah. And I know people have been upset when the rose chafer, which is a different color, but mm-hmm. comes out and starts consuming things. Uh, they think they have Japanese beetle. Right. And it, it's, it's not. It's not. We no. don't have Japanese beetle. The, the CDFA folks told me that there's this one hot spot in Carmichael. Where oh, really? Every couple of years or so, they find a Japanese beetle. Oh, really? And yeah, oh, the, interesting. The, yeah, this has been going on for a few years, and it's always in the same area of Carmichael, and it's always just like one. 
<laughs> I wonder if somebody travels east regularly in their car. Yeah. At or, a certain time of year when they pick it up and it comes back. Or bringing back plant material right. with the eggs. Which is why we go through inspection and why you need to be honest in an inspection. Uh, because if you introduced Japanese beetle to the California, it would devastate the plant industry. Yeah, it would both ornamental and edible. It would be horrible. It would devastate your garden. Yeah, it would devastate your yeah. garden. Japanese beetles love roses, especially white roses. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't probably not grow. Do they grow white roses, or do they just grow peonies back east? What do they do? Rose gardens, from my experience traveling back east, rose gardens are not as big and common and floriferous as, as here. I, I've been to Dahlia Gardens. I've been to Peony Gardens. I've been to, uh, you know, big estates where they you can tour the whole garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember seeing a single rose garden. There's wow. probably one in Washington, D.C. somewhere. Yeah, there is. Yeah. But, yeah, it's not as, I think it's a harder crop for them. Yeah, something like that would require a lot of spraying. Right. I would think. But so be fortunate we do not have the Japanese beetle here and it's up to all of us not to bring it right. here. That's very true. Either by smuggling in plant material because you love grandma's roses so much or whatever or whatever and you brought something in your luggage and what do you know next thing? That's how the Asian citrus psyllid got here. Mm-hmm. Smuggled in luggage of a citrus cutting. From, uh, I believe it was either Taiwan or, or someplace in, over there in, in the, that area of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, not only is the Asian citrus psyllid established in that neighborhood in Southern California, HLB, the disease at Vectors, is established in that neighborhood. Fortunately, the disease, Wang Long Bing, is not established here yet. Mm-hmm. I think yet is the key word. Because it's like a ticking time bomb. It takes right. five years for the disease to actually manifest itself in citrus trees. The In English, the disease is called citrus greening right. disease. And that basically is what happens. It turns the fruit green and, and the tree dies. Yeah. And that's what's happening in Southern California. and there Florida. Are, it's oh, yeah, a Florida. big problem in Florida. And Florida apparently is importing uh, citrus from Brazil uh, to Fulfill their contracts, their citrus contracts. Their production has dropped more than 50% over the last five to 10 years because they didn't know what they had mm-hmm. when the Asian citrus psyllid landed in Florida. And they were scratching their head trying to figure out what's wrong with the trees. They did not see the psyllid until so they didn't HLB. get rid of the trees yeah. and didn't, didn't quarantine the citrus the right. psyllid. And, yeah. yeah, they because they didn't think it was a problem until HLB actually manifested itself in the trees and by then it's too late Mm -hmm. and that's why citrus production in florida is down 50 percent and everybody's waiting for a magic cure and don't know what that's going to wait on yeah it's going to be uh there there could easily be gmo orange juice in your future Mm -hmm. uh if they can come up with some sort of rootstock manipulation to make it resistant to the asian citrus psyllid and wong lung bing Mm mm-hmm so that's good luck to all of us in that one. Right. So that's a tough one. Anyway, so we were talking about the emails that are coming in, and, and Ron wrote in with an interesting email question, and it got, got us to thinking and talking about it. His question is, what are your pros and cons about eucalyptus bark, and why is it not sold in California? Well, you got redwood bark, you got cedar bark, 
You can even find pine bark. Mm-hmm. There's certainly a heck of a lot of eucalyptus trees in California. Why is there not eucalyptus bark? I don't really know the answer, but I wonder about its um, flammability. Mm, yeah. uh, when you look at cedar bark and redwood bark compared to euc- eucalyptus bark, the eucalyptus bark is much thinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that would, all those barks contain volatiles that will burn at very hot temperatures. But because it's thinner, I think eucalyptus bark will catch on, on fire faster. If anybody remembers the uh, big fire in Berkeley, yeah, that was eucalyptus trees. That was in the eucalyptus Berkeley Hills, trees, yeah. yeah. The Oakland Hills fire. Mm-hmm. The uh, it's uh, and there is that uh, thought too that there may be. You can pronounce the word better than I can. Allelopathic. Allelopathic effect. Yes. Allelopathic effects are chemicals uh, exuded by plants which prevent other plants from growing. A lot of plants get accused of being allelopathic when they're really just good competitors because they have great, uh, 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 huge root systems which uh, take up all the useful things out of the soil around the tree and they produce heavy shade and it's just difficult for other things to grow around them. It is difficult to, there are a limited number of plants that successfully will grow under eucalyptus. Um, But I don't know if it's technically allelopathic or if they're just good competitors. When I was a student uh, getting my master's degree in horticulture at UC Davis, they uh, took down a, a plot of eucalyptus trees that had been grown very densely uh, for um, experimental reasons. Um, it used to be a really cool grove to go into because only the owls would uh, spend time in there. And so you could find those owl pellets yes. at the bottom yeah, with the dead Rats. Rats and yeah, <laughs> fur and teeth and yeah, cool stuff like that. But anyway, they took that down. They were done with it, and they chipped it all up, and they spread it around the campus as mulch. They spread it very deeply, uh, and nothing came up <laughs> except um, some eucalyptus. So it, I don't know if that's allelopathic or if that's just uh, because they spread it very deeply, um, but it was used as a successful mulch. They could plant things that were already rooted into the soils that were uh, mulched with the eucalyptus um, chippings, but no weeds came up. Um, so that was a very uh, interesting thing to watch. And it didn't inhibit the growth of those rooted plants at all? It did not inhibit the growth of those rooted plants. Hmm. So it seems like in, if that was the case, then eucalyptus would be a really popular mulch. Right. But it's not. But it's not. No. And... Uh, the other is we don't farm eucalyptus. We farm cedar and redwood for uh, making dimensional timber. And so you've got this leftover product of, uh, of the bark. And so it's a, it's a market for a, really a, a disposable product, something that they, they aren't using commercially. Well, I can think of a few square miles down in Harold that have <laughs> eucalyptus trees growing that uh, this might be a good experiment for. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a, it would be great to do an experiment on it. All right. Well, <clears throat> go for it, Harold. All right, we'll take a short break. Uh, when we come back, more with Debbie. Oh, people are calling with questions. We will Yay. get to your questions, and we will get into your emails as well when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSDE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back. 
Fred here. Debbie Flower is here. Let's go to the phones, answer some garden questions. John and Turlock, how the heck are you? Oh, just fine, Fred. I want to let you know I actually made it up to the uh, uh, the uh, Fair Oaks Horticultural Center. It was sort of a bypass because I was on the way to uh, to uh, visit a friend up in Yuba City, but I was and I was only there about an hour and a half. But I bought a few plants. And oh. It was nice to, and it was crowded, boy. I mean, when I was get, pulling out, I got there right at eight o'clock. And I was pulling out, man. There, there weren't no parking spots anywhere, so it was, uh, it was really, uh, it was really busy. Why didn't you come so, over and say hi? Oh, well, you know what? You had a speech like at eight thirty, and I was, I was out taking pictures and and uh, you know, for you know all sorts of stuff and whatever, and I had to get going. Okay. Is, uh, and whatever. So, it's like I say, I would have said hi or something, but you know, it, I think like I say, saw was... you because I recognized <laughs> yeah. your voice, and I'm thinking, where is that voice from? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I talked to you. I don't. I, I don't. I talked to a few master gardeners and and whatever, and they were they they were so polite. We did some grape testing and and all that kind of good stuff. So it was it was nice, a nice a nice uh, horticultural center and stuff like that. So it was it was uh, like I say, but it was just sort of a bypass because it was uh, you know whatever. But you know I'll make it up there again. Uh, my question uh, I had for you guys is is on saving seeds. Now I you know I. I, I always save my my uh, vegetable seeds. I've been doing that for quite a few years and, and whatever. And I just put them in paper sacks, and then next year I you know replant them and the ones I want and everything else like that. But I also have been saving other you know uh, perennials and you know like uh, foxglove and I, uh, Iceland poppy and nandinas and and things like that. My question is essentially. Would I be better off to put those in cold storage, you know, for you know, in the in, ref, in the refrigerator uh, at some point? Will seeds do better if they they get some coldness to them? Uh, you know, if you plant them later, or it really doesn't. You know, each one's just individual. I love the answer. It's going to be. It depends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's fine. I, I, I imagined it was. Uh, there are two good reasons to to chill. Seeds. One is you slow down their metabolism. You're, try- you're taking a living thing, which is a seed, and you're saving it over time. It has its own food supply, uh, which is called the endosperm, and it's part of the seed. It's the part we eat, uh, or it's the reason we eat seeds like peas and beans. Um, if you put them in the refrigerator, which is typically around 40 degrees, 42 degrees, it slows down their metabolism, and so they last longer, and so they don't run out of food as soon. So it's, it's a good thing uh, from that point of view. It also, re- refrigerators are dehydrators, so they right. tend to dry things out, and so you don't get fungal growth on them. Well, is that a good thing for seeds or a bad thing for seeds as far as the dehydration? Right. Uh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> There's a limit. Uh, to the dehydration uh, in the refrigerator, in a paper sack, in a jar. I would put them in a jar in a plastic bag after that, which is not, they're not airtight jars or plastic bags. Um, for a year, they're probably fine. For more than a year, they're still probably fine. Eventually, yes, they do dry out too much. But the r- reason we see seeds coming out of, let's say, a, a Egyptian, uh, you know, tomb 
that can still germinate is because they've been kept cool in the tomb and they've been dried out. And that also slows down their, their metabolism. Well, what about these seed repositories we hear about in Iceland or Utah that are preserving the seed uh, varieties? Well, my knowledge of seed repositories is that they bring the seeds out periodically, and I don't know what the amount of time is, and grow up, grow them out and collect new seeds and replace the seeds they had with the new seeds. Well, that would be an interesting job to have, to live in a cave in Iceland and be doing that. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to do that. But anyway, the other reason, the other big reason to put some seeds in the refrigerator is that they need to be, they need, a, they go into dormancy uh, if they're not started right away, and they need a chilling a certain amount of cold to bring them out of dormancy. And the refrigerator does that. Uh, seeds that uh, from plants that are native to places with cold winters are the ones that you would definitely need that chilling uh, if you're going to hold them over time. T- typically, they will germinate immediately uh, without the cold, but then they go into a dormancy, and that dormancy has to be satisfied, and it's satisfied by cold. And so you have to put them in the refrigerator. Anything that we can grow here... That would require a chilling like that. We need about six weeks in the refrigerator. And that's called stratification. That's called stratification. And then there's this thing called scarification. Which is physically breaking the seed coat so that the baby plant can get out of the seed. Right. Like uh, we may consider that if you're saving tomato seeds, you need to basically scarify those tomato seeds, basically getting the gel off. Right. And you do that with uh, fermentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. The uh, One of the more interesting seeds to save are magnolia seeds, and I tried this one year, because it involves both stratification and scarification. You've, they're a rather large seed. They are a large seed. They look like an M&M peanut. They do, yeah. And uh, basically rub it with sandpaper, then stick it in a bag with damp paper towels and put that in the refrigerator for like six months, mm-hmm. and then you can plant them. I've done magnolia seeds, and I don't remember doing all of that to it. But, uh, yeah, that's, that, there are databases that tell you the processes, and often seeds need uh, stratification and scarification, and they might need a warm treatment as well before they germinate. So it can well, be yeah. very complicated. Pepper, pepper seeds, yeah. Yes, yeah, be exactly. very complicated. The, uh, one of the best reference books is from the American Horticultural Society. It's called Plant Propagation, and they list most of the common seeds you might be trying to save and how to do it for each variety. Right. That's a very handy resource to have. There are also online databases, uh, but no database is complete. The book is not complete. The databases aren't complete. Right. Nobody has a complete list because there are just so many plants. Exactly. John, does that That's help great. at all? Hey, no, no, it, it does. I just, like I said, I, I just was, was wondering if I would, uh, you know, get better results and, and uh, you know, was able to, you know, keep seeds and things. And if I can do that, I'll put them in the refrigerator for a couple months and then pull them out when uh, I'm ready to plant them and, uh, you know, and see, hopefully that'll do them even better. As I was telling Debbie during the break, uh, you'd be welcome to try my eucalyptus and pine seeds that I've had in the refrigerator (laughs) now since 1989. (laughs) And have you just had them in the refrigerator in paper or have you had them in a... Uh, a stratification typically is a moist treatment, so like you said, with moist paper towels or moist uh, vermiculite or moist perlite or something like that. They're in the bag that Bob Marks sold them to me <laughs> from Mark's <Seed> okay. Supply. <laughs> so they're just being kept cold. Yeah. All right. Hey, John, thanks for calling. Thank you much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to West Sacramento and talk to Don here on Get Growing. Hi, Don. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's the best time to prune them apricot trees? In August? 
this would be your last best right. opportunity. Right. You don't want to do it in the wintertime because of uh, the fact that they he slowly heal. They heal too slowly, and there's too many open wounds that, I guess, spread what, Utypa? Yes, and, which is a fungus that, yeah. dead arm it's called, because it kills entire branches. Two fruit trees varieties that need to be pruned now and not the winter, apricots and cherries. To avoid the disease. To avoid the disease. But if you're doing yeah. dwarfing, you want to do other fruit trees now as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the summer pruning is, is excellent for uh, keeping all your fruit trees at a height Small. of six feet or so. Right. Which is excellent. Does that help, Don? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, have, I have one other question. Uh, when, is, when is the best time to spray uh, grapevines to prevent that spider mites and all that? Spider mites or powdery mildew? Well, I don't know. What causes them, whatever causes them grapes to shrivel up? Well, now, boy, you just... That's a big... <laughs> yeah, it's a big topic. In fact, there was just a paper released about something called SAD, which is sugar-affected disorder, and it has to do with grapes prematurely shriveling that they think might be due to the heat, uh, which I wouldn't be surprised. They do it every year. Uh, when do you see the symptom kick in? Well, probably another couple of months. In another couple of months? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, okay, ma- then they're making raisins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you actually see fungus or do they just shrivel up? No, they just shrivel up. I think they got spider mites, but I'm not sure. Spider mite sprays, when when I was working with a vineyard, we did in the early early in the season to get them under control and... We use sulfur, but there are other sprays that you can use as well. Um, typically, they, you would. I'm sorry. Do they cause grapes to shrivel? Well, no, no spider mites it's more are, of a leaf symptom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have spider mites, a way to tell would be take a white piece of paper out to your vineyard and shake the leaves and the fruit. And if you see black dots on that piece of paper scurrying about, that's probably the spider mites. Oh, I see. So what you what you're seeing I think is just the natural process of the grapes aging. There is bunch rot. Yeah, there's botrytis. Yeah, yeah, which is in the fruit. Um there are uh sometimes the 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 clusters are thinned to allow air through and there's a, a highly managed uh, vineyard they would actually take leaves go through manually and remove leaves that are covering the fruit bunches, <clears throat> excuse me, or touching the fruit bunches so that water dew, we're not having dew right now, but water uh, that would uh, stay on the bunches uh, during the cooler weather uh, is, re- is not allowed to happen. So there's actual leaf pruning to expose the bunches to um, light and air so they will dry out because uh, the, the bunch rot grows in um, damp weather. Um, and and can transfer to bunch to bunch if the bunches are touching. Right. Yeah. And then there are sprays, stylet oil. Um, salad oil? Stylet. Oh, stylet oil. That's <laughs> salad oil. <laughs> uh, can be sprayed on it. And that would, um, boy, I would guess it's preventative. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking just doing some uh, judicious pruning back in April and May when those grapes are really small of thinning out the bunches so there's about six inches of space between each bunch, uh, cutting off the tails of each bunch, 
uh, that can help uh, mitigate a lot of problems. Avoiding overhead irrigation. Yeah, avoid. You only want yeah. vineyards are typically drip irrigated to prevent funguses from growing up into the plants. Yeah. Um, so if you think you're going to get fungus soon, then you would spray maybe now for preventative uh treatment but if they're just shriveling up yeah, that may be lack of water you're making raisins yeah you're making raisins yeah don we have to run here okay, okay thank, th- thanks for the call yeah, thank you very much sure we'll take a short break more get growing on the way on talk 650 kste get growing continues with farmer fred Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page as well. Debbie Flower will be judging the quality of your answers. Um, where do we want to go to? Oh, let's go to Brooklyn, New York and talk with Charlie. Charlie, how the heck hey, are you? Fred, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing how you fine. Doing? How you doing, Debbie? I'm good, thanks. How's, how's how the are you guys t- putting up with it? With the wildfires out there, I don't know how you guys do it. Oh, it's depressing. Well, now you bring up a very good topic that probably Debbie and I should talk about is the effects that smoke can have on a garden. Uh, we we know about the effects they can have on young grapes, and it can mm-hmm. impart a smoky flavor to wine grapes when they're in the young stage. Now, last year's October fire in Santa Rosa, which was huge, they were worried about the impartation of problems from smoke on the grapes then but by then most of the grapes had been harvested and the ones that were left were so mature that the smoke couldn't penetrate the skin uh, but this is august and grapes are still growing and, and the fires in july yeah. and august there may be problems at wineries with the uh, smoke in, in the wine so if you, if the next glass of gallo tawny port you have charlie tastes smoky that's why <laughs> i mean the worst thing we have is the snow in the winter but you know yeah, not, this is no, the sky is bad. gray. Yeah, the light is it's very yellow yeah, light. You can't breathe. Yeah, well, it's it's difficult to breathe. Although you can't really smell the smoke usually, but like lately, people have been seeing ash on their cars. I got to tell you, it's fabulous sunrises and sunsets. Yes, you can yeah. you can stare at the sun because well, we it, had uh, not a wildfire. I don't know what it was by the community by Floyd Benefield mm-hmm. on the Bell Parkway near the water. Last year, we had all that coming over, and it was basically like a little wildfire, and I couldn't believe it. And I'm saying, how do these people out there take it? And this is small compared to this. Yeah. Yeah, and considering all the millions of people that live in bowls here in uh, California, in the Central Valley or the surrounding valleys where the smoke will settle in from fires that are hundreds of miles away. Right. Yeah. Oh, I finally got tomatoes from that tomato, Fred, the, those seeds. The Tasmanian. Oh, the Tasmanian chocolate. Yeah, then I thought they were cherry tomatoes because the container, they're dwarf tomato plants. There's so a small plant but a big tomato? Yeah, they're nice. They got a nice smoky taste. <laughs> I know, I just thought of that. Oh, man. Because <laughs> they're the chocolate, the, the brown ones have a smoky taste. Oh, neat. I believe the... T- I'm saving seeds from them. They were pretty big. Yeah. I was surprised. And uh, somebody on my... Yeah. How tall did the plant get? It's about four feet. Okay. Oh, that's big. Yeah. But it's wide. Okay. Because I take two tomato cages and I kind of make like a stop sign so they have space to grow. Okay. Okay. All right. And then uh, somebody on my Facebook book 
explained it to me that they were a dwarf tomato plant. It was an experiment, and there's still heirlooms and everything. It's so you can have small plants with big tomatoes. Yes, there, you can. there are quite a few of those, and a lot of them are, shall we say, cool season tomatoes, tomatoes that you can grow in the greenhouse here over wintertime oh. that are fairly dwarfed plants but produce good-sized tomatoes like Oregon Spring or uh, what's the 502 one? I forget. So they're parthenocarpic. They're producing fruit without pollination. Is no, that right? You, no, you have to go in there and shake Oh, them. you do have to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have to do that. But they're smaller plants, and they tend oh. to produce fruit uh, in 50 to 55 days. Let me ask you something, Fred. One of my garden friends here was walking with this container. I said, what's in there? He says, soap and something else. So then he translated mm-hmm. it on the phone, and it's iodine. I said, you can't put iodine and soap on your plant. Where'd you get this? He said the Internet. His brother's uh, cucumbers had that yellow spots all over them on the leaves. Yeah. He says that's what he puts on. I said, no, you're not. You can't. Does that make sense? Are his hands are, doing... are his hands permanently stained? <laughs> I don't know. But I, I've I never heard them. of that. Yeah, that's a new me one neither. to me. Yeah, he got it on the internet. I told him anything you see on the internet, don't believe it. That's right. I always like to tell people that if you're doing an internet search, include the letters .edu because that will tend to put up on the first page more references from universities and colleges, yeah. and you can trust that advice a bit more than you can uh, trust a, you know, a chat page on a garden site. Right. Yeah. But Fred, Fred, out here we have people that put Tums for their tomato plants. You know, what could you do? <laughs> oh, Tums. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the tom- tomatoes don't have uh, that, that raises your pH then. potentially, yeah. and yeah. you've got acidic soils oh, yeah. in the east. Can yeah. you use the quick root? Quick dissolve ones? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, try I don't know. Do an experiment. Yeah. Try Alka-Seltzer. Yeah. See what happens. Alka-Seltzer, hey. <laughs> don't. I'm just right. kidding, folks. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> Charlie, good to hear from you. Okay. Same here. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, that, it's, the Internet's a dangerous place. Yes, it is. And like I say, try to go to a legitimate site uh, that has done actual research and preferably a site where maybe there was even peer review mm-hmm. of of that research. That was um, I'm going to dovetail into something else right now. Okay, that was my whole criteria for convincing doctors six years ago to wean me off the prescription medications I had for heart problems and diabetes because I had that quadruple bypass heart right. surgery six years ago in, in April. You were di- diabetic. Thank you for filling in for me, by the way, for that. <laughs> oh, um, you're welcome. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I found out at the same time I was a full-blown diabetic. And uh, after the surgery, which went well for the uh, quadruple bypass, they basically said, hey, these medications, you're going to be on them the rest of your life. Statins for your heart and metformin for your diabetes. And I kind of just said to myself, no, because mm-hmm. I've read enough on on the Internet at journals, medically reviewed peer-reviewed journals that talk about the benefits of diet and exercise for reducing cholesterol levels and blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. And I want to try that. Mm -hmm. The the key is peer-reviewed journals. Right. Peer-reviewed. Yes. People who know a lot have looked at how the experiment was conducted and and what the the conclusions are and said, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. And uh, it's always, it, it boosts your case when you can go into a doctor's office and they're talking about how you'll be on these medications the rest of your life. And uh, I say, you know, do you subscribe to the American Medical Association's Heart Journal? And they go, yeah, there's, 
And I said, well, here's a report from, you know, mm-hmm. da-da-da-da, from that very journal that talks about the benefits of diet and exercise. And they go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. If you had gone into the doctor's office and said, I saw on Dr. Oz yesterday that right. if, if I eat canned beef, I'll get better. No. <laughs> the, 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 you got to have proof that they will respect. You, I, I looked at it as going back to my high school debate days. Mm-hmm. You have to defend your position. Mm-hmm. So I cut them a deal with the doctors. I said, let me try diet and exercise, and I'll keep taking your prescriptions. But in three months, let's review the numbers. Let's do it again, mm-hmm. the, the tests, and see where the numbers stand. And they go, okay, fine. So I, first of all, wrote down everything I was eating to keep track of it and as sort of a mental conscious thing to mm-hmm. you know, eat right. And, of course, I exercise. The only thing they'll let you do after bypass surgery is walk. Mm-hmm. So I walked a lot. Mm-hmm. I lost 40 pounds walking wow. in three months. That's amazing. Well, it's just like if you're eating right and you're exercising, the weight disappears. Mm-hmm. And so after three months, uh, going back to the doctor's, they said, wow, I, you know, we know that statins and metformin can reverse these numbers, but not like this. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, l- let's try something. How about we cut the dosages Reduce in the half dose, yeah. and see what happens? Yeah. They go, okay, let's try that. Three months later, the numbers kept going down. Mm-hmm. I said, well, let's try cutting that dosage in half. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was taking those these itty-bitty pills and quartering them. Right. And and. There's nothing them, left. Yeah, until basically it's nothing left. It got to the point where by December, my A1C numbers had back for diabetes, blood sugar had gotten back to normal. The cholesterol numbers were normal. And I said, okay, let's cut off all prescription medications and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Three months later, the numbers kept going down. Mm-hmm. And the weight was going down, too. Wow. So And plus, I had presented to them all this evidence from their right. own journals that, you see, diet and exercise it does, does work. work. But- Doctors do not have confidence in recommending that to their patients because they know from experience they won't do it. Yeah, they don't comply. Yeah, they don't comply. So why bother mentioning it? Just say you're going to be on this medication the rest of your life. And And I know people who would say, well, if if the medication does it, I don't need to do the others. I don't know. Yeah, and then, oh, there's plenty of people like that. Right. You, You know, they're swallowing their metformin with a bowl of ice cream. Right. Or whatever. And yeah, no, that doesn't work either. But by doing diet and exercise, and I got total permission from mm-hmm. all the doctors involved, the cardiologist, the endocrinologist, endocrinologist, endocrinologist the dietitian, the general practitioner, they all said, wow, we've never had anybody do that before. Congratulations. And, well, no, it's not a matter of congratulations. I can't figure out why... Why wouldn't everybody be doing this? It's a commitment. Yeah, it's a commitment it to your time. own life. Yeah, it takes time. It takes effort. And it's not... And by the way, it takes the cooperation of a spouse. It, to, yes. Yes. To go along with these different eating habits. Right. And I'm the spouse who doesn't cook the stuff that <laughs> that would put you there in the first place. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're a healthy... You're not my spouse, but you, you, know, you cook healthy. I do. Yes. All right. The um, So anyway, part of why I did that whole thing was the support I got at Lodi Adventist Cardiac Rehab Unit because I took the doctor's advice after the surgery and said, you ought to register in a cardiac rehab program. Mm-hmm. So I registered at the one in Lodi, and for three months, I went there three times a week where you 
get on a bike and a stationary bike and they hook you up with probes and stuff and they're measuring your heart rate your blood pressure while you're spinning on the bike and beyond that though they also offer you support as far as the benefits of diet and exercise they bring out sample foods that Mm. are better for you than what you may be eating Mm -hmm. you know actual practical advice and more than that and i I gotta hand it to connie marks miller who was the nurse in charge of the program when i was telling her what i was doing and she said you go go for it do it Mm -hmm. just do it prove them wrong Mm -hmm. and she she offered me that support you had a coach yeah and uh, you know, lo and behold, I'm still here. Yeah. And, you know, I'm riding my bike 125 miles a week, but then I would do that anyway. And not just own. 125 miles a week, but 62 and a half miles at a well, one that trip. Was, that was Friday, metric century Friday. Yes. <laughs> but still, to be able to do that is huge. So anyway, the whole point of this is tomorrow at 11 a.m., I will be down there in Lodi at Lodi West, which is at 800 uh, Lower Sack Road, if I can find the information on it here because i did write it down somewhere there it is 800 south lower sacramento road that's at the corner of lower sac and vine at 11 a.m the cardiac support group they bring me back every august to talk to the current heart patients Mm -hmm. or anybody else who wants to just come there and 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 listen and i just basically tell my story Mm -hmm. and that'll be it's free it's 11 a.m tomorrow and if you need any more uh reason to come I have a box of Pluots I'm bringing. Oh, wow. Uh, Phil Purcell, yum, yum. Phil Purcell at Dave Wilson Nursery went out to their orchard and picked me a whole box of Pluots to take down to Lodi with me. So I've got Flavor Supreme and Dapple Dandy, or Flavor Queen and Dapple Dandy Pluots. Uh, There's your dessert. Yeah, exactly. And the, eating that sugar in fruit is the healthiest sugar you can eat mm-hmm. because it's tied in with fiber. Mm-hmm. And, the, mm-hmm. and the fiber is huge. Fiber is huge. This is part of my talk, too, is... Increase the amount of fiber, reduce the amount of added sugars. Mm-hmm. Naturally occurring sugars in whole fruits is one of the healthiest things you can eat mm-hmm. because that sugar is more slowly absorbed into your system because the fiber in the fruit slows down the absorption rate mm-hmm. and it, it's not a stress on your system. But and I th- it keeps your system, you're digesting and so things don't sit around and become yeah. bad for you. And basically eat more fiber, eat less sugar mm-hmm. uh, and and. I call it shut your mouth, move your feet. Yeah. And it works. It works. I'm, I'm still here somehow. So uh, that, I'll be talking about that tomorrow, 11 a.m. at Lodi Health West, 800 South Lower Sacramento Road at Vine at 11 a.m. I'll be the guy with the box of pluots. Free and you get fruit. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, if you've never had a pluot. <laughs> Now's the time. <laughs> yes. From the orchard at Dave Wilson Nursery. Yes, right off the tree. Not from my own backyard where the squirrels ate the pluots. Poor, poor. You had some. I had one. Oh, okay. And the squirrels took it. <laughs> of course. I was like a day away from picking it. Of course. Yeah. And of course, the squirrels just took it. Took the whole thing. What are your dogs doing? And your cat? What's Walter up yeah, to? Well, they should be protecting I, that pluot. <laughs> you'd think. Yeah. You'd think, but no. All right. Well, I know, Terry. We'll take a break. I'm back with more Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower, mm-hmm. part-time horticultural consultant, full-time mm-hmm. 
gardener. Yeah, and, horticulturist. Uh, and you'll be judging the garden grappler in a few minutes. Okay. All right. I I'm think, ready. I think you have a, a handle on it now. Okay. All right. So we'll be doing that a little bit later on. Uh, let's go down to Fallbrook and find out what John's up to today. Hi, John. Hey, uh, Debbie and Fred. How are you guys today? We're doing, doing fine. Well. Thanks for uh, hanging in there. Uh, no worries. I was hoping to make it all the way to the grappler. Maybe I could win something good. Well, so there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I got a statement, and I got more important, I got a question about an oak tree. Uh, my statement would be that the fellow about the grapes, I know here in Southern California the grapes sometimes suffer from something called a sharpshooter. And he may have been. Oh, glassy wing sharpshooter. Okay. Yeah. Or which yeah, vectors pierces disease. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They they seem to put something in their drip irrigation to a systemic of some type. But oh, he may not have been. I don't know. More importantly, I got an oak tree. I got a bunch of oak trees in my property. And one particular one is starting to turn brown and dry from the top down. And it's an old tree, and I hate to lose it. You got any ideas of what? What could cause it to do that? Photophora. Yeah, I mean, yeah. frankly, that's a, that's not like a crown rot disease if it's dying from the top. Crown rot. You mean like something at the base of the tree? Right. I'm, I'm, it's usually uh, it's uh, what is Photophora a fungus or a bacteria, Debbie? Fungus. It's a fungus. Yeah, and, and it, it clogs the vascular system of the plant, so yeah. it's like heart, like when you needed your bypass, it clogs the right. the plumbing inside the plant. And I so, tried to get it to walk, but it wouldn't walk. Yes, I know. That's the, that's the key, is to get them to walk the hallways. Um, I would go to the base of the plant and, and make sure that everything, meaning soil and plant debris, um, is pushed away from the base. And so there's a nice flare at the soil line. Um, and then I'd get a consulting arborist. Another option, and you have a very active master gardener program down there in San Diego County. And, no, I didn't know. Yeah, and, and if you um, take a sample of the root, it doesn't have to be a big sample, maybe about the size and thickness of a pencil, maybe a couple of them, and uh, cut away a couple of those root sections and take them to your cooperative extension office, they can forward those to the state lab to see if there is a fungal issue involved. Oh, wow. Now, now, typically, all of the other oaks, everything that falls from the tree has a duff down there, and I'd never disturb that at all. Well, so, if you trap moisture, if moisture gets trapped against the trunk, mm-hmm. that's a way that the Phytophthora gets into the plant, or can be a way. Yeah. It, it's basically overly damp soils. It's an anaerobic situation mm-hmm. where it can spread if there's too much water, standing water. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, hmm. One other statement concerning this, um, the utilities have a leak in the water pipe uh, uh, maybe 20, 12, 15, 15 feet, 10 to 15 feet away, and they fixed that. Do you think that may have affected this? Possibly. By, mm-hmm. by could, losing, the wa- losing the water supply? No, it couldn't be losing the water. It could have been while that water was there because it, it just took a while for that problem to manifest itself before you okay. saw it. I, I had an arborist come by about a year and a half ago and he, because I, I did have another tree that had some rot in it, but a different part of the yard, uh, and he rated these trees good. So, okay, so 
to kind of review, I'll dig that soil away. I'll take a sample of the root and I'll send it to the master gardener's extension. I'll try to find that online. Yeah, the San Diego County uh, Master Gardener office or your uh, you can county, just go to the extension yeah, office. Yeah, the county and cooperative can, extension yeah, office. They can send it to the Where, lab. What is the county extension? The cooperative extension. Every county has a cooperative extension office uh, for the uh, originally designed for the agricultural community in each county, but they've cooperative ex- extension. Cooperative okay. extension. Yeah. And, Is that nine three three five? You're in San Diego, right? Or close uh, to I it? I am. In, I, I'm in Fallbrook outside in San Diego County. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So your your cooperative extension office is at nine three three five Hazard Way. Number 201 in San Diego. <laughs> well, you're too good. <laughs> and their phone number is... <laughs> Wait a minute. I, I guess I'll have to listen to the podcast to get this. Uh, okay. How Eight. about I drop Fred an email and he can do it? There you go. Okay. Yeah. Or, okay, or, or heaven forbid you should look it up online yourself, <laughs> just like Debbie just did. Right. Yeah, I will. I okay. will. Um, actually, I will. Now, now, the guy that does all our tree trimming uh, suggests that I cut out the top and see if it comes back. Oh, I would get a uh, consulting, consulting arborist, arborist out there before yeah. you did that. Yeah. Hey, okay. John, yeah, we got to run here. Terry's giving me the skunk eye. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks Bye-bye. for calling. All Good right. Luck. Garden Grappler coming up after the news. More Q&A with Debbie Flower as well coming up as we continue with Get Growing here on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If you're up on your garden clubs. Now, a lot of garden club groups were out at Harvest Day yesterday at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. And there seems to be a garden club for just about any plant interest. Mm-hmm. You ever belong to one, Debbie? Uh, yes. Okay, all right. Uh, don't mention it. Good for you. You didn't mention it. Uh, so I want you folks to name a garden club, either one that you're currently in or maybe would be interested in joining. And you're saying to yourself, well, Fred, what are the list? Where can I find a list of garden clubs in the area? Well, if you click on the link at uh, farmerfred.com that says a clue for the garden grappler, you've, you get the program for yesterday's harvest day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, which has a complete list of educational tables. And in that list of educational uh, groups that were out there are many, many garden clubs. Now, it doesn't have to be limited to that. Uh, If you go to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, the clue is the August calendar for the Shepherd Garden and Art Center that hosts many, many garden clubs throughout the area. So it has the August calendar for all the garden groups that have meetings there at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center. Or if you're from outside the area, if you can name a garden club that you're in or would be interested in joining in your area, that's fine. But I will offer this. If you name me a garden club that I can't find on the Internet, Debbie won't allow it. <laughs> so oh, I mean, so if you say, uh, yeah, I, I belong to the Pilot Hill Azalea Appreciation Society or, <laughs> or something along those lines. If if they don't have a website, eh, I, I can't vouch for it because I never heard of it. But if it's local, chances are we've heard of it. Or if you can vouch for it, 
will do that. So name a garden club that you're in or you would be interested in joining. Mm -hmm. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. We'll see how this one goes, Debbie. All righty. I would think it would go quickly. Yes. The numbers to call in, 916-576-1578, 916-576-1578, or 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Name a garden club that you are in or you'd be interested in joining. So my whole point here is to basically give a big plug to the benefits of belonging to a garden club. Which are huge. They're huge. They're, there are some garden clubs that are just so huge, they basically have auditoriums for their meetings. Yes. With with modern technology, sound systems. Sound systems and PowerPoint. And, 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 yes. It's well, amazing. you and I met at a professional, uh, a, a, I wouldn't call it a garden club, but a California Association of Nurserymen, it was called at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an indus- for ind- people who work in the industry. Um, I've met a lot of people that have become friends and, and as well as professional contacts through that group. Yeah, I, I joined it so I could listen to nursery people gripe. <laughs> it was great. Or, did you get what you wanted? Yeah. <laughs> well, they have a whole set of issues that of you know, the general public isn't aware about. Yes. And most of it is bureaucratic. Right. Just dealing with the state or the county with all right. sorts of requirements that right. they have. Or how hard it is to find good workers, things like that. I think everybody has that problem. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, you call in, think about that, and answer. And, and while we talk with Phil in Moraga, who promises not to answer the garden grappler. <laughs> Sorry, here's my laugh. Hi, Dr. Fred. Hello there, Hi, Phil. Hi, Debbie. Hi. That's great. Um, yeah, I love being on hold. I'm so keen. I, I love listening to your program. Thank you. Okay, now now we've got, let's just go to the question. You've got a, uh, at least 25, not 35-year-old apricot tree. No, you have okay. one. I don't have one. Oh, it's not. It's weed because it's not my place. Okay. Um, this thing, it probably only been pruned back when it was a baby. So what I've got Ooh. is a lot of deadwood. Most of the growth is uh, in the upper canopy. canopy. It's about 40 foot tall. Wow. At this point, should I just deadhead, deadwood this? And then, because we're not going to cut it out. It's a beautiful old tree. Well, you can cut out the deadwood. Yeah, you always right. want to do that when you find it. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can see it. I took all the poison oak out, and I can see it. Do you see, <laughs> like, brown rot? Do you see drippy, goopy stuff on no, it? No, no, no. Actually, Tree's in pretty good shape. Very healthy. Okay. This is still, even in the Bay Area, this would still be a good time for pruning as opposed to the rainy season. Right. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah, August yes. is your best time for apricot pruning. So you're right on target. Okay, so right now I should just probably, because it's, it's been abused. Well, it's abused itself. The poison don't get it. So I should just go ahead and, and, and take off the deadwood right now. Mm-hmm. And, and then what about, what about, it only gets wintertime rain or when it rains. What about putting a. Should I, should I go ahead and grab a get a soaker hose and turn it on for a few days and and should I fertilize anything? Or should, After should cutting out deadwood, no, I don't, deadwood. Yeah, if I were going to yeah. be irrigating it, I would want to have started that in spring, and and you know once the rain stopped and continuing it through the season. Uh, we're not yet into our rainy. You say it's healthy, and you say it's only ever had uh, the natural rainfall. So I would not want to change you know if it's working i wouldn't want to change it okay now the question oh, is oh, oh, do, do you want to bring this tree down in size 
Not necessarily. It's a beard. No, it's just got this really cool shape to it. It's really, it's awesome. Okay, even though the I fruit just, is I, way up there. Oh, there's no fruit, and nobody's really worried about that. Okay. Okay. All right. It's more ornamental right now. All right. It's going to stay ornamental. Then, yeah, deadwood it. And uh, I would only irrigate if the rains don't come. I'm not going to irrigate it then. And then what about what about cleaning up? What about am I going to bring down a little bit because I need to get the growth to come in? Well, don't so take off more than deadwood one. deadwood right now and just leave it and then call you guys next year. <laughs> well, no, you can take not the deadwood bad. off. You could probably take off uh, one-third of the canopy uh, uh, if you wanted to. I wouldn't go yeah. more than one-third, though. Okay, I appreciate your time. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to offend you, but okay. Oh, no, 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 no. I, was, I know you've got stuff to do. you got a real quick commercial break, and then you can let these people make time. Uh, oh, you time. don't have a clock in front of you. I've got the clock in front of me. Oh, I know the timing. I, I'm pretty good at this stuff. I've been right. for a long, long time. Okay. Day one, my friend. All right. So, uh, All right, folks, have a beautiful day. Just do pruning in August. That's oh, the important thing. Oh. Okay, you got a deal. All right. I'll send you a picture. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. All right. Yeah, we should point out something we mentioned over on the KFBK Garden Show, and it does bear repeating about pruning fruit trees, that August is the month for pruning apricots and cherry trees. And why is that? That's to prevent them from getting a disease called dead arm. Uh, <laughs> which, that's a great name. Yeah, well, to me, that's that brings the picture. Yeah. <laughs> Of an entire limb dying back in wet uh, temperature, uh, wet temperatures. Yeah, Debbie. In wet climate, uh, during wet times, the it's a fungus, and the, the wetness allows the uh, fungus to germinate and grow into the healthy wood, and it will kill an entire branch of the tree. Uh, so you don't want to prune those trees during that time. But it is also the time to prune other fruit-bearing plants that you want to keep small. So cherries and apricots, for sure, to prevent disease and other fruit trees to keep them small. I was just thinking of all the major league pitchers that had dead arm disease. <laughs> it's, it's sad. That's really sad if yeah. you're a major league pitcher. Yeah. 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 Uh, there are specific diseases, though, that uh, pruning in the wintertime can spread in these trees. I believe in apricots, it's uh, eutypa. Eutypa is dead arm, yes. Yeah. And in uh, cherries. Grapes get it as well. Oh, Okay. And cherries, uh, if pruned in the wintertime, can end up with what? Pseudomonas? I'm not sure. Or bacterial, uh, was it bacterial blight? Bacterial speck? Bacteria, bacterial something. A disease. Yes, a disease, yes. <laughs> From pruning at the wrong time of the year. Yes, okay. So uh, cherries, apricots, prune them in August if you're going to prune them. All right. Ah, you want to take some garden grappler answers? Of course. All right. Okay. Who's up first here? Let's go to Wilton and talk with Randy. Hi, Randy. Hi, Fred. So, Randy, what um, uh, garden club uh, that you're in or would be interested in joining? Okay. I was at Pharaoh's yesterday. They had the Historical Rose Society. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's one. Yeah, so we spent some time at their table. Did you talk to Anita? Um, I, I believe so. Okay. Maybe. Uh, yeah, Nita was there. I know Charlotte was spending time there and uh, going back and forth to another uh, club. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, uh, the the Historical Rose Society there at the Old City Cemetery is an amazing little organization, and they're always looking for help for people uh, to deadhead yeah. the roses there. And just uh, and there's a lot more than roses, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's the perennial plant. or. Whoo, that was a close one. Uh, there are a lot of perennial plants there, 
and uh, there are a lot of native plants native there. Plant but bees. even even in the ro- the, yeah. the the plots with roses have lots of other uh, plants on them. It's really it's a pretty place. I've t- uh, when I was teaching plant idea, I sometimes took uh, students down there to look at those plants. Yep. So good answer there with the old uh, city cemetery of historical rose society. And Randy, I have for you. What do we have for everybody today, Fred? Well, if you heard my talk yesterday on Garden Time Savers, I'll give you another handout of that. Plus, uh, the UCIPM's information on controlling ants, which have found my indoors, and I bet they've found other people's Uh indoors as well. Maybe a little bit later on you can share your ant recipe with us. Okay. Okay. Uh, So, uh, Randy, I'll be sending that your way. All right. Thank you, Fred. All right. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate it. Call it number two in today's... Oh, you want to take a break, or what do you want to do, Terry? Oh, well, okay, Terry wants to take a break. He controls the board, so we'll get to callers two, three, four, and 5 in today's Garden Grappler when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we're lining up winners in today's Garden Grappler question, which is name a garden club that you are in or you would be interested in joining. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Debbie Flower, horticultural consultant, full-time gardener, judging the quality of your answers. Call in number two, it's Lori in Roseville. Hi, Lori. Hi, how are you? We're doing fine, Lori. What what garden club would you like to be in or are already in? I am a member of the Roseville Better Gardens Club, and we are going to be celebrating our 90th anniversary this October. How wow. about that? How about that? Congratulations. Are you still meeting at the old Maidu Center? We are. Okay. We still meet at the old Maidu Center. All right. The, Rose- Center. the Roseville Better Gardens Club is, as you said, been around a long time. 90 yep. years. 90 years, October. Wow. You haven't been there since day one, though. Man. Uh, <laughs> definitely not. Okay. All right, Lori, I'll be sending you the uh, my Garden Time Savers handout along with uh, How to Control Ants. Okay, great. All Thank right. you so much. Thank you, Lori. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, Susan in Woodland, you're caller number three. Go ahead and name a garden club. Hi, Fred. This, um, I belong to the Woodland Library Rose Club. Mm. I'm a lifetime member, and we're a very strong group. We have a huge garden at the library that we maintain and pay for all the upkeep. And every spring you do a garden tour. We do. Yeah. We do that, and we have a big tag sale, garage sale, Coming up on September 22nd. There you go. That's how you use this radio time effectively. Plug And that events. earns you money to, to do yeah. the things you need to do to maintain the garden, right? Or are you raising money for scholarships? Two to $3,000. Yeah. And, and, and some of that goes to scholarships, doesn't it? A li- yes. Yeah. A certain percentage of which I don't know, but we do have scholarships awarded each year. All right. Wow, that's wonderful. Garden Club's doing good. All right. Susan, thanks for the answer. And uh, the Woodland Library Rose Club, keep on thriving. All right. All right. Thanks for calling. Let's go up to Newcastle and talk with Denise. Hi, Denise. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I love your show, and I loved the harvesting yesterday. That was awesome. Oh, good. I'm glad you went. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so if it, if I could, I wanted to put in a plug for the Gold Country Rose Society up in Auburn. Okay. Go ahead, put a plug in for it. <laughs> okay, they're good. They sometimes go to our wonderful local nursery Isleys, and they work in the uh, volunteer in the rose section. They're responsible for getting some own root roses. Um, they're the David Austin, and they're just a really great little group. Debbie, do you agree with that? Yes. Okay, I thought you would because the Gold Country Rose Society has been around a while. Mm-hmm. I think I may have even spoken to them at one time or another. Wow. Well, uh, I need to get my act together so I can go. But anyway, I did have a question, too, if I could ask one about the pruning. Go ahead. Um, fruit trees. Our uh, our fruit trees are just in the ground. We bought bare root last fall or last spring, I guess. Mm-hmm. They're doing really well. Um, should I prune them to keep them in size or should I just let them go a year? I would prune them this time of year or last month or, you know, right now. Do it last month. Yeah, do it last <laughs> month. <laughs> I would definitely prune them uh, to keep them small. Um, okay. You, you, wanna, you take it off now because it's the, the carbohydrates have been stored and you want to take them away, um, if that makes sense to you. But anyway, yes, I would prune them now. Okay, and a couple of weeks ago, Farmer Fred said that August is the time they are um, uh, forming fruit for next year, and so we should uh, fertilize in August. Is that something we, I should do also? Can't hurt. Yeah, do a slow-release fertilizer, and yeah, August is the time that after you've harvested the fruit, the tree immediately goes into bud formation mode. You may not be able to see the buds, but they're working on it, and they could use okay. a, a feeding this time of the year after... After raising their first batch of young, if you will. <laughs> well, they haven't raised any fruit, or they just we missed any the pollination. Um, it was wet during I pollination. Think it was weird weather, yeah, weather season this past yeah. spring, but that's okay, okay because that means your your plant put a lot of effort into uh, root establishment, and you really want that because if it doesn't do it the first few years, it won't do it ever, and then you'll have an unstable tree. Yep. So that actually awesome. worked to your advantage. Phil Purcell out okay. of Dave Wilson Nursery is fond of saying, for the first three years, you're growing a tree. After that, you're growing fruit. Yeah. and that's it's, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, Thanks. Denise, I'll be sending you all that stuff. All right. And uh, that brings us to caller number five. I don't know if this guy would know any garden clubs or not, but we'll try. Saul in Auburn. I have no idea yes. what club you would mention. <laughs> Hi, Saul. Yes, Fred and Debbie. It is the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club. Woo-hoo! Really? How odd. The, a club that you may have been a past president of. Yes, I am past yeah. president. Yes. yes, you are. With all with all the accoutrements that go with being a past president. You have, uh, what, uh, Secret Service protection? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, I, Fred, I want to... Uh, Say that we do have a website, and it's the website is Sacramento Perennial Plant Club dot org. Org. And mm-hmm. if pe- people want to find out about our club, they can look on that website. And I do want to say that we have a a grants program that we do every year. And if uh, an organization is in Sacramento County and it's not profit, they can apply for our grants. And the the information about the grants is up on the website and sacramento perennial plant club dot org since you're in marketing mode saul why don't you mention the meetings at the shepherd garden and art center yes i certainly will that's the last thursday of each month but we don't meet in the summertime 
And coming up in September is one of my favorite people who's a member of the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club, and that's Pam Bone. And she's going to be talking about fertilizing. Well, there you go. So that's Shepherd Arden Garden Center, the fourth Thursday of the month. We start at nine, excuse me, seven o'clock in the evening. So we have a guest speaker. We have Daisy Ma talk about her Daisy do- Daisy's dozens oh. plants that are blooming at her house or at uh, um, Land Park. Uh-huh. It's refreshments. It's a very friendly group. Des- Daisy Ma. Daisy Ma is a Sacramento horticultural hero. Yeah, for the she work sure that, is. for the work she's done yeah. at the WPA Rock Garden across from Fairy Tale Town in Land Park, and basically single handedly converting that acre and a half or so into an exquisite garden. Yes, yes. Watering by hand too. Yeah, yeah. And she's about four foot tall. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but lugging those hoses. Yeah, yeah, but doing a great job. And Saul, I bet you even have plant sales. Oh yes, we have the uh, plant sales at Shepherd Arden Garden Center in the fall, and then in the spring we have tours. Uh, we just do a lot of things for people who are new to the area or looking for a garden club. I would recommend the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club. Of course, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you are the past president of that. No. no, this is your unbiased opinion. Yes. Right. All right. That's great. Hey, Saul, you're caller five, so you get the bonus prize. And I'm sending you this wonderful book from the Regional Water Authority called A Homeowner's Guide to a Water Smart Landscape. I'm going to uh, mail this book to you, which will probably cost me more than getting the actual book. Well, Fred, thank you very much. I heard your speech yesterday, and my wife is interested in changing our watering system. So oh, wow. Cool. We'll be... Looking forward to getting your book. All right. So, that yeah, they have some good tips in that book about that. Good. All right, Saul, thanks. All right, thank you. Bye, Debbie and Fred. Bye, right. Saul. Bye, Saul, yeah. So there you go. Sacramento royalty, Sacramento Garden royalty. Yes, yes. Saul I, Weissman, who's, mm-hmm. who's famous as an English teacher in I Loomis. I didn't know that part. Yeah, he was an English teacher in Loomis who, who gave uh, Scott Paris at High Hand Nursery an F. Oh, boy. <laughs> But, but, he, it, but it spurred Scott on to bigger and greater things. And Saul wrote, maybe still does, columns about gardening in uh, the Auburn paper. Okay. And and you? What do you do? Nothing. When are you going to do something? I don't know. All right. I'll think about it. I'm trying to get you to talk at Harvest Day next year. I'll think about it. All right. You'd be good at it. Thank you. Uh, so we'll work on that. That way I can just roam the grounds and talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> That I seem to spend most of my time doing anyway out there. Uh, okay. Well, you're going to come back. I think I saw your name in yeah, September coming yeah, back on this early show. Early in September. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I look forward to it. Same here. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Debbie's going, but I'm going to yeah. stay here. We're going to talk with Maureen Gilmer, garden writer, about having a dry garden. That's okay. coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. There's a new book out called The Colorful Dry Garden. Over 100 flowers and vibrant plants for drought, desert, and dry times. The author, Maureen Gilmer, who has written over 18 garden and landscape books. She has over 30 years of experience in landscape design 
And uh, one of my favorite books of hers was written over 20 years ago called California Wildfire Landscaping. But Maureen, let's talk about the colorful dry garden. And for sure, people keep talking about the drought, the drought, the drought. Well, maybe that is just California's new normal. Maybe California dry is what we can expect from here on out. And it sure makes a lot of sense to be transitioning landscapes from summer water intensive plantings to plants that can take less water during the warm seasons. After moving to the uh, Southern California desert from Northern California, I had to learn a whole new palette of plants down here. And these are really, really tough desert species that I didn't know anything about. That includes succulents and cactus and all that stuff, but it also included um, a lot of other material that makes great planting for gardens. And um, a lot of these plants are not known outside the desert communities. And so I wanted to bring those plants into the the conversation of what we can grow in California during these drier times that's new and different than most of the, you know, the typical stuff that we usually see. And also, um, it, it's very important to me personally that we get back to growing flowers. I think that we've had a lot of other criteria, and so... I felt that we needed to have a book that was exclusively about color and flowers because I think that with all the strife in our country, it's a good idea for us to get back to gardening just for the pure joy of its aesthetic beauty in our life. Well, you bring that up in your book as well, and uh, maybe one of the first transitions, if people are ripping out a lawn and they need something in the meantime before more permanent plants take over, would be sowing wildflowers. And you have a a great chapter in the book on wildflowers and the ones that would do well in uh, various areas of California. But one complaint I hear from a lot of people is, I, I threw out some wildflower seeds and nothing happened. What What are some of the reasons why wildflower sowings might fail? Wildflowers, if you notice, they don't live on the best ground. They live on kind of crummy ground, and they like a lot of drainage and a lot of sun most of the time. And so when you put out uh, wildflowers seed, if you just throw it out there, it's going to sit on the top of the ground, and birds and other animals will come to eat it. If it does sprout, it might just sprout a little bit. My belief with wildflowers is you've got to stir up the top inch of soil just a little bit if you can. So you can put the wildflower seed out now, but this is something that most people don't know. You should really sow California poppies in the fall because they need to have a taproot by now. And if they don't have a taproot by now, they'll bloom, but they won't survive their bloom and they'll die. And so to get really great California poppies, you've got to sow them early, like in November, so that they can take advantage of the winter months to grow that taproot. And that's how they become biennial and perennial, and that's how the clumps get so large. With wildflower seed also, it's important like to choose a California native or similar kind of mix so that the plants are naturally adapted to our growing seasons here in California and not somewhere else. And uh, you also point out in your in your book, The Colorful Dry Garden, that uh, babying wildflowers uh, can be detrimental to their health because they don't really like very rich soil, do they? No, they don't. And so I, I throw them all over. And here I grow, I live on an alluvial fan. It's almost like the soil here is like um, decomposed granite. 
And those seeds sprout like crazy in this stuff. And my Palm Springs garden had really sandy soil, and every seed that fell on that soil sprouted. So I know that dense soil is very difficult for growing wildflowers and getting them started if it's not scarified on the top in order to give the seeds some place to lodge. That's why if you throw wildflower seeds out in your gravel fields and dry stream beds, they'll do really well. They're great back 40 plants, basically. Yeah, and, and then they're done by fire season. So they don't offer any fuels at the other end, uh, which is important to me. And I like those for an easy pickup um, because a lot of times in the early spring, there's not much going on. So if you get the wildflowers out there in a timely fashion, and you can sow them every fall. I mean, you don't have to get them to naturalize. Let's talk about some other uh, wildflowers that you can uh, grow from seed easily in Inland Valley areas, such as uh, California Central Valley. You mentioned the California poppy, which, of course, is the state flower and, and probably the most famous uh, easy wildflower to grow. What are some others? I like our lupins, especially the annual seed-grown lupin. You often see them up. Uh, in Northern California along the edges of the roads in big masses where the gravel is. <laughs> That's where they like to grow. And so remember that, that rich soil is too much for a lot of wildflowers. If you notice, if you go out in nature, a lot of the wildflowers are growing on cliffs and, and uh, very steep slopes. That's so that they don't have to sit in the water. Mm. And so by the time... Um, years come along they'll just be fine and treat them like an annual flower every year if they don't become naturalized now some of uh, the seeds might take two years to flower i'm thinking like the coreopsis the tick seed yeah and those you know um when i did my property up in the sierra nevada i had it rotivated and then we um used a belly seeder and did the whole property in a irrigated pasture mix with wildflowers mixed in up in that mix that first year came Shasta Daisy and Coreopsis. So we would mow around the flowers uh, when we were mowing the pasture and leave them in big clumps. Well, they lasted years after years, after years in there. And, and so they did like it. It was just beautiful when we'd mow it in the spring. Now, your book, The Colorful Dry Garden, it is much more than just wildflowers. It talks about permanent plants uh, that range from uh, low-growing ground covers uh, all the way to uh, trees. And let's talk a little bit about some uh, drought-tolerant or low-water-use trees that would be suitable for the Central Valley. Well, let me tell you about what is a low-water-use tree. And, and that's the question we have to ask ourselves because um, it's all how we irrigate that tree. Like here... Um, I irrigate my trees with inline drip emitters, which are half-inch tubing that has emitters every eight inches on the one I use because I use it for my vegetable garden too. So when I water those my trees, which are relatively new, and I've got California pepper, and uh, uh, which will grow up in, in the north, and um, also some of the acacias and, and things that grow up north, like black acacia, Milwaukee, uh, Acacia melanoxalon was one of my favorites for Yuba County and Sutter County. So there's a lot of drought-resistant trees. But the trick is, how are you going to water them? And if you're not using spray irrigation anymore. So what I do is I take these inline emitter strips and I spiral them around the base of the tree so that there's like 8 emitters or 10 emitters under there. And each time I go around, I go out about a foot. So what I have is this collar of emitters 
around each tree that allows that tree to have a healthy wide root zone, not just one water point where all its roots go. So that when it does rain, the larger root system can take advantage of the natural water supply as well. Now, when you say collar, you mean more of a spiral because that line yeah, is, is snaking and I, wider and wider. Correct. So I start at the trunk and then I just go out and go around. Every foot or 18 inches, I put another one. So usually, you know, uh, and I believe I've seen some commercially used versions of those that you might be able to get at irrigation places, but I just make my own because it's simple and I put a cap on the end and then I run it off the supply line. And so I run my trees that way. And, uh, you know, my water here is very expensive. And so I'm very, very particular about can the plant grow on a normal drip system? Does it need special water? Does it have to have, like, for example, uh, plants like camellias, which is not a drought-resistant plant, but camellias are surface feeders. And so they're used to having a lot of area to feed off of. Well, if you put one emitter in there, those that plant cannot root to that emitter properly. Now, if you put a circle of emitters around that that camellia, it will work better. So this inline drip emitter tubing designed for vegetable gardens uh, actually works very good for trees. And then you start your young tree that way, and it becomes adapted to the drip irrigation during the summer, and then it becomes adapted to the natural soil moisture in the winter. It's a great book. It's brand new from Maureen Gilmer. It's entitled The Colorful Dry Garden, Over 100 Flowers and Vibrant Plants for Drought, Desert, and Dry Times. And Maureen, if people want more information about the book, I bet there's a website they could visit. Uh, yes, you can go to moplants.com or better yet, find me on Facebook because I, I post a lot of fun stuff uh, related to plants and desert and um, arid information that I think wildlife and all that kind of stuff. The Colorful Dry Garden. It's a brand new from Sasquatch Books. Check it out. Maureen Gilmer, thanks yeah. for a few minutes of your time today. Hey, thank you, Fred. It's always been a pleasure. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. By the way, coming up uh, after the news at noon on this very radio station, it's the KSTE Farm Hour, and we have a report about the wildfires burning in California, the heat waves, and it's playing havoc with farming operations throughout the state. We'll talk about that. And uh, California's farmers may be getting the short end of that $12 billion tariff relief funding that the Trump administration has promised that seems to be headed mostly to soybean, corn, and pork growers in the Midwest. What about California's specialty crops, including the tree nut industries here? Uh, they feel they're getting shortchanged, and they all still want real results as far as an even playing field, basically eliminating tariffs and just have free trade. And let's see, the latest report from the USDA is not good news. Most farms are losing money. Sort of. We have the details about that. And uh, an interesting story about the color of your tractor and people's maybe unnatural attachment to the color of their tractor. So that'll be coming up on the KSTE Farm Hour, noon to 1 o'clock, right here at Talk 650 KSTE, KSTE.com, as well as downloadable right now if you want it at uh, the iHeart, excuse me, at uh, 
iTunes or your favorite third-party podcast aggregator or stream it right now at the iHeartRadio app if you want to. All right, let's go to the phones. Let's talk to Susan in Woodland here on Get Growing. Hi, Susan. Hi. Thank you for holding. I appreciate it. Um, I didn't get a chance to ask my question about ants when I was on the ground. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead and ask it. I know you spoke about it a little later, but this year all the ants, at least I, my ants, seem extremely small. Are they different variety than the usual? Are they are they black and they move kind of fast? Well, not that fast. Okay, well, I don't mean really fast, but they tend to do a lot of scurrying around. Yes. Yeah, those are probably Argentine ants, and that's a... Uh, a fairly uh, common ant here in California, and they're, they're the ones that tend to find their way indoors first when either the weather gets hot or the weather gets wet or cold. And uh, basically, you got to track them down. you got to trace them back to how they got in and try to seal up that point of entry or and at least uh, wash up their trails with uh, soapy water to remove that trail because they're leaving behind... Basically, I don't know if it's sweat glands or, or whatever, but they're leaving a trail for the other ants to follow as they uh, work their way to whatever source of food they're finding in your house. All I'm saying is these seem a lot smaller than the ants I've had in the past. Like, if you're not staring, unless they have a line, of a trail, but... I'll find one in my bathroom. If I'm not staring at the floor and really see it moving, I wouldn't even notice it. It's so small. About the smallest ant that we have, well, there's one called a pharaoh ant, but it is light-colored. Now, you're saying that this is a black ant, right? Yes. All right. It's probably the Argentine ant, and it's about one-eighth of an inch long. Okay. So that basically it's like do your full and control. Uh, the products that I've used that seem to work the best are liquid products with boric acid in them, but a low concentration of it of less than 1% boric acid in a liquid uh, formulation and put it into a bait station that holds liquid. And if you wait a couple of weeks, that usually takes care of the problem. The key, though, is don't put that bait station indoors. Find how they're find out how they're getting indoors, and then put that bait station outdoors where you see them coming in. Okay. All right. Good luck, Susan. Bye. All right. Yeah, it's it's summertime, hot time of the year, and ants will find their way in. All right, let's uh, find out what's going on in the way garden activities. There's plenty for the coming week. By the way, if your group is having a garden activity coming up and you want to promote it, uh, nonprofit, send it to me. Fred at FarmerFred.com. Try to get it to me at least two weeks in advance, if you would, please. All right. This Tuesday in, down in Tuolumne County, the Master Gardeners there have a presentation by Cooper Kessel. And uh, Cooper Kessel is a principal architect at Alternative Energy Design. He's going to be talking about water retention facilities for small properties. Basically, he's going to be talking about swales, ponds, and wells. The water that's coming off your roof, 
Why not put it to use as far as percolating back into the ground and replenishing the, the groundwater table? You can do that if you've got swales or ponds or some sort of in-ground system to get that water to go back down to groundwater level. And anyway, uh, Cooper will be talking to the Tuolumne Master Gardeners, and the public is welcome to attend. That'll be Tuesday evening at uh, 6 p.m., I believe. Yes, 6 p.m. at the Senior Center in Sonora at 540 Greenlee Road. So if you're down in the Sonora area, uh, you may want to check first uh, on the smoke condition from the Ferguson fire near Yosemite and make sure that uh, uh, the meeting is still going on. It depends, on, of course, on the direction of the smoke. But uh, you can call the Cooperative Extension on probably on Tuesday to get an update on that uh, talk if it's going to happen at 6 p.m. Tuesday evening. You can call them at 209-533-5695. And speaking of fires, we will update uh, the fire situation for you in just a minute here. Coming up uh, end of this week, uh, I think it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it is the Nevada County Fair. And the Nevada County Master Gardeners will be out there to not only answer your garden questions, but also uh, conduct daily workshops as well as composting demonstrations. And they will be at the Ag Experience area at the Nevada County Fairgrounds in Grass Valley this coming Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Next Saturday, the Master Food Preservers here in Sacramento County, Master Food Preserver Dennis Prendergast will be providing information on preservation techniques, the latest research-based procedures and best practices for preserving what you are growing. It might include more than water bath canning and pressure canning. It might include uh, dehydration. It might include freezing, other things. So um, listen to what Dennis has to say. Saturday, 9 to noon, it's free at the Cooperative Extension Office here in Sacramento County near Bradshaw and Kiefer. The address is 4145 Branch Center Road in Sacramento. Down in San Joaquin County, the Master Food Preserver Training is getting new members. They have an August 11th application deadline, and there will be two orientation meetings. If you're interested in becoming a Master Food Preserver, you probably should attend one of these meetings either the one on Tuesday, August 7th at 6 p.m. or the one on Saturday, August 11th at 9 a.m. And it'll be held at the beautiful Ag Center there that the Cooperative Extension has in San Joaquin County in Stockton at 2101 East Earhart Avenue. And you should uh, reserve your seat by calling 209-953-6100, 209-953-6100. And their training will start in September. You can find out more information probably if you just do a search on uh, Master Food Preservers for uh, San Joaquin. All right, there you go. Fire situation, what is that looking like this morning? Let's update it and and find out. It's it's smoky outside. It's been smoky. It's going to stay smoky. Taking a look at, first of all, the extended forecast. The extended forecast is for haze from the smoke. Excuse me, I had to sneeze. There, okay, I got the sneezes out. The um, haze will stick around as long as uh, those. Uh, there's not much air movement. And let's update the weather first before we go to the fire condition here. The uh, weather for the next seven days promises to be hazy and hot. That's just the way it is. And it looks like it's temperatures approaching 100 degrees uh, for the coming seven days, upper 90s. 
and overnight lows in the mid-60s. So basically, uh, 94 today, 97 on Monday, 98 on Tuesday for Sacramento, 100 on Wednesday, 99 on Thursday, Friday and Saturday, 99 degrees and haze. Uh, from those fires so it's august and that's what you get and without much air movement that smoke lingers and the latest fire information uh several fires burning continuing to burn it's amazing how long these have burned since uh, late july and in some of these cases like the car fire up in uh, shasta county outside redding c-a-r-r car fire which uh uh Coincidentally enough, was started by a car fire. In this case, it was a, a car pulling a trailer. The trailer had a flat tire, and I guess the rubber got off the rim. And when you've got rim running on asphalt, you've got sparks. And that's what started that fire back on July 23rd. And it's only 41% contained. It has burned 154,000 acres. And it is. Uh, mustering a large contingent of firefighters on that one up in uh, Reading. Over a 1,000 structures burned in that one. In Mendocino Complex, that fire just keeps on growing. There are two fires in Mendocino County, at least two fires, but the big ones are called the Mendocino Complex, the Ranch Fire and the River Fire. The Ranch Fire was uh, centered near Potter Valley, the River Fire near Hopland. And combined now, those two fires are over 250,000 acres. I think it makes it now the sixth largest wildfire in California history. The uh, Ranch Fire, 23% contained. The uh, smaller River Fire, 58% contained. And uh, that's going on. You know, if you ever want more information about fire situation, about the smoke, and what the evacuation situations are, the best resource I know of is... The Cal Fire Incident page, if you just uh, do an Internet search on the phrase Cal Fire Incident page, uh, you'll get the current fire information for a whole host of fires burning throughout California. For instance, the Ferguson Fire in Mariposa County still burning. That's been going on for quite a while near Yosemite. That is 89,000 acres and still only 35% contained. So be careful out there if you are mowing dry grass. The grass, the the hills, the pasture land is drier than normal for this time of year. Uh, One fire expert put it, we're battling uh, September fuel in August, meaning that the grasses have been drying out much quicker because of extended triple-digit temperatures. So be careful when mowing or trimming. Do it early in the day. Carry a cell phone with you. Have water nearby, if you would, as well. And um, again, that uh, page is calfireincident. Or just calfireincidents. Just do an internet search of that. Time for me to get on out of here, obviously. All right. Stay tuned for the KSTE Farm Hour. That's coming up next. I'll see you next week. Debbie Arrington, garden writer, will be with us. So we'll uh, do that next Sunday, August 12th. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate your support all these, what, 26 years? Woof. Thanks. Bye-bye.